As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. I hope you had a great weekend. Hey, we had a wonderful weekend here. In fact, we filmed the whole program about Christmas with our family, our sons, their wives, our grandkids. We had a blast, but we did it for the Russian-speaking world. But what a fun time we had together, Denise. Oh, gosh. I, was, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And you know, the reason we did it is because many Russian families have no Christmas tradition at all because they were raised in atheistic, atheistic communism. They don't know anything about Christmas. They don't know how to tell the Christmas story. They don't know how to experience Christmas as a family. So we decided to make a special program for our Russian-speaking world, showing families how to celebrate Christmas together. And we just had a blast. Wasn't it good, Joel? Oh, I enjoy it every year. It was so enjoyable. It is always enjoyable. But we read the Christmas story, we ask questions, and then we pray, and then we open our gifts. And that's what we do every year. I think it's so much fun, especially to hear the kids' answers from year to year and, and as they learn the answers. Yes. Because as time goes on, they start yelling out answers before we even ask questions. They do. They... <laughs> so, and then the younger ones are like, what, what, what? And we all get to explain to the younger ones, and the younger ones learn the answers. And eventually everyone knows the whole story pretty well. Yeah, and now the grandchildren are reading the story. Mm -hmm. But we tell all the things to our grandkids that most people don't even know about Christmas. We tell the rest of the story, which makes it so exciting. We always bring in Herod and Cleopatra. You say, what does Cleopatra have to do with Christmas? Well, it's very interesting. Mark Antony, Julius Caesar. We talk about what was the value of the Magi's gifts? How much gold and frankincense did they bring? I mean, their little eyes just light up. They get so excited. Joel? Some of the questions we ask, and they all know the answer uh -huh. already. Why was Jerusalem upset with Herod? Why was it all up and up and up scared when Herod was upset? Or what was the star? Was it a comet? Was it an angel? What was the star? How does the star move? Was that really a star? And, and so we ask all these fun, fun questions, and we just take our time. It can take up to two hours. And I think we really enjoy it. And you know what? When it takes up to two hours, there's no fidgety kids. They are all excited for the next question. And we don't open a single Christmas gift until we've done the Christmas story first because we want our kids and grandkids to know this is the priority. Recently, Paul's been pulling out the map and showing, like, where is Nazareth? <laughs> they had to travel all the way down 10 days. Mary was on a camel. Or a donkey. Or a donkey or something. And what was that like for a pregnant lady? And then she went to not Jerusalem, but Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is right next to Jerusalem. And in between there is probably where the shepherds were. Anyway, we'd like spend a lot of time on it. And honestly, spending two hours out of the year talking about Christmas is not a lot. But it's so enjoyable. And I just want to say thank you for starting that tradition in our family. And I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask this last week, how did that tradition start? Well, it really started because when I was a very little boy, my daddy read the Christmas story to us. As we got older, we dropped that tradition. But it meant so much to me as a little boy. So I said to mom, when you guys begin to be born, we're going to make Christmas the priority in our house. And something else my mother did when I was a little boy that made a big impact on me was at Christmas time, rather than just lay on the floor and look at all the Christmas bulbs and the Christmas lights, mother gave me construction paper. And I tried to imagine a little Ricky Renner 
with my construction paper and my little tiny scissors. Do you remember those little? Little, things? little. Oh my gosh, they hardly were hardly cut. Hardly cut. You could barely get your fingers on them. And with Elmer's glue. Oh, absolutely. Do they still make Elmer's glue? I think they do. You could eat Elmer's glue. <laughs> <laughs> But I would cut all my pieces. I would cut palm trees. I would cut a star. And I would draw all my figures. And I'd put them all together. And I would make a stable, what I thought was a stable, because I didn't know Jesus was born in a cave. We thought he was born in a stable. And I would make all those little figures. And I would construct from construction paper a little nativity because our family did not own one. We couldn't afford one. So I made one. And you guys, have you ever tried to? stand construction paper up <laughs> it's pretty sad it leans this way it leans this way and i would like perfectly put it in place and within minutes it's leaning or falls completely and i would spend all my free time laying in front of the tree trying to put the construction paper back in place but my mother was so smart because rather than thinking about the presence and the lights and the bulbs my eye was on that Nativity, I was thinking about the birth of Jesus. My mother was so creative. What are you going to do for your kids or grandkids this Christmas? You need to bring their attention to the Christmas story. Read them the Christmas story. It doesn't take long. Read it in Luke chapter 2. Read it in Matthew chapter 2. And if you don't know how to share it, then get the free download. Because the free download is called Christmas, the rest of the story. You can just walk through this study guide with your family. You said that study guide's 124 pages. That's quite a gift. That's why you need to download it. But you don't have to share the whole thing. Just pick and choose the parts that you think are thrilling. I think it's all thrilling, but you can just pick and choose the parts that are interesting. In fact, this study guide you can use from year to year. You can choose different parts every year. It'll take you a long time to share it all with your family. And it'd be smart for you to get the whole series. It's 15 parts. You could watch it with your kids. You say, 15 parts. You think I'm going to watch that with my whole family? Well, believe it or not, I filmed this a year ago and wanted to make sure I was still pleased with it. I watched the whole thing yesterday. 15 parts. does not take long to watch it. doesn't take that long. And it's really impacting when you see everything in the Christmas story. So please order yours now. And Right now, for Christmas, I know you're thinking about what to buy, people. Why don't you buy your family and your friends Sparkling Gems number one and Sparkling Gems number two? This is a gift they will use all of next year. Isn't that the truth, Janine? Absolutely. I mean, I get up in the night sometimes to pray, and I open Sparkling Gems. Well, you get up almost every night in the night to pray because I lean over to touch you or give you a kiss, and you're gone. One night I said, did the rapture take place? Where did she go? Honey. You're usually in the dining room reading Sparkling Gems or your Bible or praying or calling somebody to pray with them. But you use Sparkling Gems all the time. Yes, it, I love Sparkling Gems. And a lot of families use it as a devotional. But today, let's go back to our story. Are you ready? But hey, if you need prayer, call us 1-800-742-5593 or write us at prayer at renner.org. But today we're going to talk about what is a heavenly host. Are you ready? Yes. What is a heavenly host? But first, let's go back to Bethlehem. In the stand-up to today's regular TV program, I show a cave where shepherds would have stayed at the time that Jesus was born. And if you travel in the area around Bethlehem, especially as you go toward the shepherd's field, 
As you walk down the hill, there's all kinds of caves. Some of them later on were used as churches. Some of them are still used as churches. People go there to pray and to think about the shepherds and what took place. Some of them are just vacant caves that date all the way back to the first century. And those caves were where the shepherds stayed with their sheep. There, and it was next to what was called the shepherd's field. But if you ever go to Bethlehem and you go into the church of the Holy Nativity, where Jesus was born was inside a cave. Now, some people today believe that he was born in another location. I believe he was born in the cave because it was identified so, so early, even by Origen, who wrote, and he was the great theologian whose writings are almost undisputed, that the light came into the world and was first seen in the cave in Bethlehem. And that cave today is covered with soot. It's black. It's dark. It's kind of dreary. Didn't look like that 2,000 years ago. It has a smell. It has a smell of candles and incense because for 2,000 years, people have been burning candles in there, venerating the location. It's a little disgusting looking. It's covered with so much religious decoration. But before all that was there, it was just a cave like all the other caves in the area. And there was no room in the inn, not because Joseph and Mary were poor, but because there was just no room. Everybody had come to town for the census. And by the time they got there, all the spaces were taken. Mary was great with child. The Greek means very far along in her pregnancy, really about to give birth. They had to find somewhere for them to be. So they went into the back of a cave and huddled there. It is likely that there were other people in the cave because there were so many people looking for a place to stay. Mm -hmm. One very early writer says the cave would have been filled with other travelers, with animals, with people of a gypsy type that were shooting dice and playing games. And back in the back of all of that is where Jesus was born. And that's why I think it's so funny that we sing silent night. Mm -hmm. It wasn't silent at all. It was a very rowdy place where Jesus was born. But outside the city of Bethlehem in the shepherd's field was a group of shepherds watching over their flocks by night. And the Bible tells us in Luke 2.13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the Heaven. heavenly hosts. That's going to be our focus in tonight's home group. What is a heavenly host? And notice that it began with one angel. One angel is doing all the talking. It's one angel who's told them that Jesus has been born. One angel has told them you're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. One angel. And then suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of a heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What is the multitude of a heavenly host? What really was taking place here? But let's go back to Luke chapter 2 verse 8 to review what leads up to this. And Luke chapter 2 verse 8, the Bible says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field. It's the shepherd's field keeping watch over their flock by night. And guys, who were these shepherds? Maxime? VIP shepherds. Why? They were taking care of those lambs. Uh, those lambs would later be sacrificed in the temple. That's why they were VIP lambs and VIP shepherds. So, so these were sacrificial lambs. Right. This was, these were not just any shepherds. These were really highly trained shepherds. They were religious shepherds. 
because their job was to watch over sacrificial lambs. And they took their job so seriously. The Bible says they were keeping watch. The Greek literally means they were constantly guarding, constantly watching, which means they were really serious about their assignment. Their eyes were fixed on those lambs. And then Luke 2.9 says, and lo, the word lo is the Greek word idu. Now, when you see the word lo, sometimes it's translated as the word behold. In both cases, it's the Greek word idu. It always injects the sentiment of the writer. It means wow, amazing. So suddenly Luke, who's our great chronicler, he inserts the word low, which means, and wow. So he's writing the story. He's so amazed by it. He injects his own feelings. <laughs> and wow, it is amazing what I'm about to write. Behold, <laughs> the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. But notice the Bible says the angel of the Lord came upon, came upon the Greek word ephistomy describes a sudden and surprising appearance that takes one totally off guard. If you connect it with the word low, then we understand this is total shock, total bewilderment, complete astonishment. They are completely taken off guard. And verse 9 goes on to say, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Well, the word glory is the Greek word doxa. We know a lot about the word doxa because it's the word glory. It's used all over the Bible. The word doxa describes the heavy presence of God. Mm. Some people think the word glory describes splendor, something brilliant, and it does. That, that's true. But the real meaning of the word doxa is something that's weighty, something that's so weighty it can be measured. You can, you can calculate it. Tangible. Tangible. It's like something you put on a scale. It tips the scales. It's so heavy. So when the Bible talks about the doxa, the glory of the Lord, it's a heavy, heavy presence of God. So if you've ever been in a worship service, when suddenly it felt like the atmosphere became so heavy, that's usually the glory of God. Denise. Well, and, and in the glory of God is every good thing. Every good thing is in the glory of God. It's heavy. With goodness. With everything good. Everything good. You know, in the Old Testament, when the glory of God came in, it was so heavy that the Bible says the priests couldn't stand physically on their feet to minister because of the glory. They collapsed. Yes. And that's very often why people fall in prayer lines and people fall in meetings. It's not just because they're falling. It's because their physical bodies collapse under the weight of God's glory. That's what the word doxa really describes, the heavy, heavy presence of God. So just imagine, these shepherds are out in the shepherd's field doing their work. Their eyes are fixed on those lambs, those sheep. Suddenly, the angel of the Lord comes upon them. It's a surprising appearance that takes them off guard. The glory of the Lord comes. A heavy, heavy presence comes. They're in the middle of the field not anticipating a divine visitation. But you know, God can meet you anywhere. He can meet you in the car. He can meet you in the shower. He can meet you on the sidewalk. He can meet you in your chair at the office. He can meet you right where you are. The glory of God comes wherever it wants to come. And they were out in the field and suddenly the glory of the Lord, the heavy presence of God suddenly came upon them. And Denise, it's for sure. They felt the tangible presence of God. Joel? 
I've always imagined that these shepherds are having a little shepherd's meeting <laughs> around some little fire thing. I've imagined that too, Joe. It's dark at night. You can yes. see all the stars. Yeah, just stars. And one that shepherd turns around, looks up at the stars, and bam, this one angel appears. Yeah. How many shepherds were there? Well, we don't know how many shepherds there were. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it is plural. There were several. Well, the reason I'm asking is because it says there was a vast host of angels. Well, that, there were more angels than there were shepherds. Oh, my time. goodness. They're, I think that when they looked up, when all the angels appeared, they probably couldn't see the heavens. Well, hold on. Let, we're going to get there in just a minute. Well, I want to say that they were experiencing something the rest of the neighborhood was not. And their eyes were opened because they were the first evangelists. They were. And they went out and they told this amazing story to everyone that they had seen so much. Well, I want to tell you something else the rest of the story that I bet you didn't know. It says the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, what does that mean to you? Most people think it means the whole countryside suddenly lit up with the glory of the Lord. Doesn't mean that. It is the Greek word. Are you ready for this? It is a Greek word, perilampo. The word lampo, you hear, you hear a word? Yeah. Lamp. And it describes a beam of light. The word around, the Greek word peri, this really describes a shaft of light. Which means when that angel first appeared, it wasn't lighting up the entire countryside. Those shepherds were in a shaft of light. They could see out of the shaft. If they wanted to, they could have reached their arm out of the shaft of light. It was a direct beam of light mm. that was coming down just on them. Now just imagine if you were out in the countryside, it's very dark and suddenly a beam of light comes straight down on you. Gosh. you I mean, you would just, it's not, You'd the be whole, paralyzed. it's not the whole countryside lighting up. It's a beam of light right on you. And the Bible says they were sore afraid. Yes. <laughs> well, that's very interesting. Uh, the Greek means they were filled with a great fear or they were seized with a terrible fear. They had never seen anything like this before. But the angel said, fear not. And when you read this in Greek, it is a direct command to stop fearing and stop it right now. Cut it out, guys. Stop it. Stop it right now. And what we need to understand is God's presence never comes to bring fear. That is not the intention of God's presence. He never comes to bring fear. Fear is of the enemy. God's not given us a spirit of fear. But the angel said in verse 10, Behold, I bring you great good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. And the word behold is used here to describe the sentiment of the angel, which means the angel basically said, wow, listen to what I'm about to tell you. It's the Greek word you do. What I'm about to tell you is so amazing. Today we would say, buckle your seatbelt. Get ready. Brace yourself for what you're about to hear. Wow, this is amazing. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. And what did the angel say? He said, good tidings. Mm -hmm. Good tidings is the idea of the best news anybody has ever heard. Hey, guys, you're about to hear the best news you've ever heard in your life. Get ready. Wow, this is amazing. This is what the angels are describing. And the angel says it will produce great joy, enormous joy. The Greek means massive joy, gargantuan joy. And then he adds in verse 11, For unto you is born this day 
So we know it's happening right now today, this day, not yesterday, right now, in this moment, this day, in the city of David. Where is the city of David? There in the shepherd's field. So the city of David is right there. It's just right there. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, on Friday's home group, we talked about this phrase, Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's look at it again. The word Savior, the Greek word soter, which means Savior, but really the emphasis here is deliverer. Deliverer. Jesus came into the world as a deliverer to deliver the human race from Satan's captivity. He came to break the bondage of sin, to break the mastery of the curse, to break the ownership of Satan on the human race and over the human planet. Jesus was born as a savior and as a deliverer. The word soter can also be translated healer. It can be translated preserver, which means Jesus is our deliverer. He's our savior. He's our healer. He is our preserver. If anybody ever says to you, well, how do you know Jesus is still healing? It's his nature. That's who he is. How do you know Jesus is delivering? He is a savior. So do. That's what he does. That's who he is. And the angel says, which is Christ, in the Greek word Christos, which is Satan. the anointed one, the Messiah, the Lord. And when you read this in the Greek, it says the Lord. The word Lord is capitalized. The word Lord, the Greek word kurios, means the supreme authority, <clears throat> but because it is capitalized, it means no authority higher than this one. Jesus is not a Lord. Jesus is the Lord. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. And in verse 12, the angel went on to say, and this will be a sign unto you, unto you, unto you in Greek means especially unto you guys. Now, who's the angel talking to? Shepherds. They were really Levitical shepherds. And what was their job? To watch over Maxime? Sacri sacrificial lambs. Sacrificial lambs. So he's going to give a special sign for Levitical shepherds who are watching over sacrificial lambs. This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The word babe is important because the word babe is the Greek word brephos. It describes a newborn infant. This is a just, just born, and you're going to find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes, as I've already told you, is the word which describes the little bandages which were used to wrap around the legs of newborn lambs because their legs were so feeble. They would wrap their legs to strengthen them. Well, now remember, Mary and Joseph are in the back of a cave in Bethlehem filled with animals, maybe shepherds, travelers. There's animals there. Normally, it's where shepherds and sheep would have been. So what is available? Sheep materials. When Jesus is born, they look for something to wrap his little body. And that's why when you see most illustrations of Jesus, when he's born, he's wrapped, almost looks like a little baby mummy. He's wrapped so tight. Mm -hmm. Those were the bandages that would have been used to wrap the little legs of a lamb. And the reason it will be assigned to them is because when they see him, it's going to look like a little lamb. That is so powerful. You, God, God is so amazing. He's filled with intrigue. He does things so interesting. He's beautiful. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When he was born, he first appeared as the lamb of God. Isn't that powerful, Denise? So powerful. Oh, I love that. But there's something else. Then we read in Luke 2, verse 13. And suddenly, I can almost hear this from Handel's Messiah 
and suddenly there was with the angel. Oh, I love the Messiah. Oh, I'm, I'm singing these, all of this text. <laughs> it says there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Well, the word suddenly means suddenly taking one off guard and by surprise, the word multitude describes a massive, massive, massive number. The word host is the word stratia. Ay, ay, ay. It is a military term which describes an organized group of soldiers or an assembly of soldiers. But in this particular case, because it's connected with the word plethos, which is the word multitude, it is a massive, massive, massive multitude, an innumerable company of heaven's armies. These are warring angels that have come. Why did they come? I'm going to tell you why. Because the commander-in-chief had appeared on assignment, and they came to salute the commander-in-chief. But there's something else. Are you ready for this? No angel had ever seen the face of God. That's an amazing thing to me, that angels that are in the presence of God, they have seen the glory of God, but they have never looked into the face of God. But we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Verse 16, great is the mystery of godliness. Listen to this. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. And then what does it say? Seen of angels. The angels came because for the very first time, they could see the face of God. Isn't that amazing? They all showed up to salute the commander in chief. And they came because it was the first moment they would ever be able to look into the face of God. That's just amazing to me. And it also means that we ought to be a little bit ashamed because we have all these paintings of Jesus. We've grown up so familiar with the face of Jesus. Angels had never seen the face of God. We take so much for granted. My friends, the glory of God showed up in the face of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says it showed up in the face of Jesus Christ. It was the first time anybody had ever seen the face of God. And a multitude, an innumerable company, all of heaven's armies came to salute their commander and to see the face of God. Denise? Oh, well, this makes me cry because it's so wonderful. It's wonderful. And then Luke 2, verse 15 to 18 says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Isn't that amazing? But hey, we're not finished with Luke's account. Luke has something else really important to tell us. You know, Rick, I guess it makes me cry because I know we are going to see his face someday. Amen. We're going to look right into his face. 
But we're out of time, guys. We're going to come back tomorrow night and continue to see what Luke tells us next in Luke chapter 2 as a part of the rest of the story. But remember, if you need prayer, call us 1-800-742-5593 or write us prayer at runner.org. Sleep well, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it. 